today's Easter Sunday, and you know the background for the story of Easter is really, believe it or not, our personal sinfulness. That is the reason that Jesus came. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. First John 3 says that he might destroy the works of the devil. You say, well, why is my personal sinfulness the, the background and basis for the Easter story? Well, it's really because God is holy and we are sinful. And, and, you know, a lot of people are banking on the fact that God loves me so much he would never allow me to go to hell. Understand this. It's not God's love. Listen, you got to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. It's not God's love alone that allows us into heaven. But it's love, his love based on his justice and our sin being legally paid for that allows us to go to heaven. And without that legal payment for our sin, we can't get to heaven. Why? Because God is not only love, but God is also holy. And because God is holy, nothing impure can go to heaven to be with him. Nothing impure, listen, nothing impure can enter the gates of heaven. As much as God loves every human being, this is startling to say, but it's truth. There are people that God loves deeply. Listen what I'm about to say. There are people that God loves deeply who will spend eternity in a place called the lake of fire because with their will, they refuse to choose his antidote for their sin. And God's antidote for our personal sin, his name is Jesus. Jesus was God made flesh he was a perfect person, and he personally took our sin penalty. That's what we're going to share today, so that we could go free. So the story of Easter is about God loving us enough to send his son into a human body to become incarnate, so that he could legally and justly pay our sin debt, so that our impurity could become pure, and then we could go and enter into heaven. All of us are born in sin. And without approach to God, a holy God, that is the basis for the Easter story. Romans 3.23, everyone has sinned. We fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But watch this, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. Listen to Passion Translation of Romans 5.12. When Adam sinned. The entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. That includes me, that includes you. I've got five grandbabies and one on the way. They're sweet as pudding to me. But you know what? In their hearts, they need God. They need Jesus. They're self-centered. And that's the way all of us are born. All of us are born in sin. We need a Savior. Hebrews 9, 27, and just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also, listen to this, Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly are eagerly waiting for him. All of us are going to face death one day. And you know, the older you get, you know, the closer the time is coming. Every time our heart beats, we're one heartbeat closer to the time we leave our physical bodies in death and go into eternity. And that's a scary thing for a lot of people. But you know what? Jesus took the sting away and the scare away 
from death. He conquered death on resurrection day. John 3, 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, who, so everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Watch this, verse 17. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Listen to that. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So today there are people in hell that God loves deeply. Not, and they're there not because God wanted them to be there. They're there because they stubbornly refused God's free gift that would make them pure, that would cleanse their sin and make them holy. And friend, I hope today, if you don't know Jesus, that you will bow your knee and submit your will to God and accept His Son Jesus and His sacrifice for you. I want to make it, uh, uh, explain it in clear terms today. The title of this is Heaven's View of Je- Jesus' Death and Resurrection. I want to read some scripture from the book of Mark. And this really shows, this shows the physical sufferings of Jesus. And then we'll spend the rest of the time looking at the other side, God's view of what happened when Jesus died on the cross and when he was raised from the dead. So look with me, if you would. Let's just take a few minutes to read Mark 14, and then we'll read some in Mark 15. They took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards warming himself by the fire. Inside the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. And let me just say that if they did this to Jesus, how many know people will do that to us? They'll say things that aren't true. And you'll wonder why people are doing that. Understand that the fallen human heart is very wicked. And it's displayed very clearly right here. Verse 57. Finally, some men stood up and gave false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands. And in three days, I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent. And made no reply. Then the high priest asked, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him blindfolded him, beat him with their fists. Talk about rejection, right? Prophesy to us, they jeered. The guards slapped him as they took him away. Then Mark 15, very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, the teachers of religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you've said it. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes. And Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. 
One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like for me to release to you this king of the Jews? Pilate asked, for he realized now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd and demanded uh, the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, Then what should I do with this man you call king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder. How many know the crowd is not always right? Often the crowd is wrong. Don't follow the crowd. Follow Jesus. What crime has he committed? The mob roared even louder. Crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarter called the Praetorium and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe. Then they wove, wove thorn branches into a crown, put it on his head. They saluted him and taunted him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship when they were finally tired of mocking him. They took off the purple robe, put his own clothes again on him. Then they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha means the place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes through dice to decide who would, uh, which one would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, the one on the right and the one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says he was numbered with the lawless ones. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in in three days. Well, then save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can uh, see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink it. Wait, he said. Let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the Son of God. I think that Roman officer was smarter than all of the religious officials in Jerusalem. It's amazing, isn't it? I got seven points today about heaven's side, the spiritual side of Jesus' sacrifice. Seven things I 
I just want to make very, very clear. Uh, first thing is, number one, Jesus' physical sufferings were light compared to his spiritual sufferings. And nobody would call Jesus' physical sufferings light by any standard. In fact, Jesus' sufferings physically were extreme. Today, we would call them absolutely barbaric. And we would call for an end to that kind of behavior by any nation. Jesus was betrayed. We just read the story by one of his associates with a kiss. And that was, at the time, a a signal of deep friendship, deep affection. Have you ever been betrayed by a friend? Have you ever trusted somebody and they turned their back on you and acted as though you were the bad person, something's wrong with you? Jesus, the Bible says, was despised and rejected of men. And that's his mental and emotional anguish that he endured before before the physical uh, scourgings and the barbaric behaviors by his his, uh, enemies began. He was betrayed by his associates. Then he was led to Caiaphas' judgment hall. He was blindfolded, spit upon, insulted, and beaten. What do you do if somebody spits on you? Well, you want to you protect yourself. You want to you get back at them, not Jesus. He was led as a slam, lamb to a slaughter. Then, you know, they placed, a, they placed a, a purple robe, mocking kingly authority on him, a crown of thorns on his head, insulting him with every move, mocking him. Then, after the mental and emotional trauma, he was scourged, sadistic, sadistically beaten until his body was emaciated. The Roman cat of nine tails, it would have metal objects, it would have uh, pieces of stone, glass, uh, and metal, and, uh, and they would beat the body with that whip. Many times the people who were beaten with this uh, device died during the beating because it literally ripped away whole chunks of flesh, exposing exposing the muscle and the tissue underneath, sometimes exposing the bodily organs. It was a horrible, horrible beating that Jesus endured. And then beyond that, worn out from the pain, the Romans made him carry the cross, the big wooden beam that he was going to be impaled on. They made him carry it uh, to his place where he would be crucified. Then, if that wasn't enough, the Romans took Jesus and, and, and right below his hand, right there at the wrist, where it would stick really well, they, they, they stuck spikes through both of his wrists and impaled him on the cross and then stuck them through both of his feet and then impaled him, lifted the cross up, and there he hung to die, naked, thirsty, the sun beating on him, gnats and bugs and flies feeding on the blood that came from his wounds. Now, y'all, that's an awful, awful, awful way to die. And then death by crucifixion was particularly barbaric because just the, the person that was crucified, just to be able to breathe, they had to push with their hands and then push with their feet that had nails in them, push up just to get some air into their lungs. And they literally died of asphyxiation. Because it got so painful to push, they had no more strength to do so. Y'all, it was a horrible, horrible way to die. We often, you know, give a lot of attention to to Jesus' uh, physical sufferings, and they were indeed horrible. But what happened behind the scenes? 
is not, to, is not even to be compared with the gruesomeness of Jesus' physical death. It was even worse than that. And that's what I want to share with you today. Number two here, Jesus' death on the cross was a deliberate act sanctioned by God's will. He went to the cross by the purpose of God. How would you like to live your life knowing that the whole reason that, that you were born is so that you could die a barbaric death and then, and then go to a place you never wanted to go. Well, that, that, that was the purpose of God for Jesus' life. Listen to Acts 2, 23. Jesus went to the cross by the purpose of God. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. That is an amazing statement. It was God's will that Jesus go through what he went through. Because in God's will was his love for us. When God saw Jesus the Christ as a baby in a manger, when Jesus became incarnate, it was because God loved me and God loved you. That's an amazing thing. You know, one thing you, we do want to realize is that, is that when Jesus was born, he laid aside, Philippians 2 said, he laid aside his divinity, not, not his divinity, but the power of the office he held as the second member of the Godhead, God the Son. He laid that supernatural, almighty power aside. He laid his omniscience, his all-knowing aside. And it's amazing. Maybe you've never thought about this, but when Jesus was born as a baby, you know, 2,000 years ago, do you think that little baby was staring out of those eyes, knowing everybody's name, knowing everything? No, no, he had to learn about himself. How did Jesus learn about himself? Every Jewish boy before he was 12 years old had to, had to memorize the five, uh, first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And as he read those scripture, no doubt, that the Holy Spirit inspired. Scripture that talked about the Messiah. Scripture that talked about the Lamb of Sacrifice. The Holy Spirit in him witnessed. That's you. That's you. That's you. That's you. And Jesus found out who he was. And then as Jesus prayed, as Jesus matured, as he helped his dad in the carpenter shop, as he was well known in his village and in his community, as he walked with God, as he read the word, as he sought God in prayer, his habit by the time he was 30 years old when he started ministry would spend great lengths of time in prayer. You think he just started praying when he started ministry? Now he had been praying a long time before that. And I submit to you that in Jesus' prayer life, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, you're going to give your life. You're going to give your life. You're going to be crucified. You're going to be killed by religious leaders. It's going to be a barbaric death. You're going to, you're going to pay the price for humanity's sin. And me? Me? Really? <laughs> he found out. And listen to what he said to his disciples. Three times Jesus mentions his future death that was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Luke 9, 22, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. See, that was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Luke 9, 44, listen to me and remember what I say. Says it to him again. The Son of Man's going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. But they didn't want, know what he meant. Its significance was hidden from them, it says. So that they couldn't understand it and were even afraid to ask him about it. Now, that's, that's amazing. Then lastly, he said it again three times. He mentions it to them. 
taking the 12 aside, Luke 18, 31. Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans and he will be mocked, treated shamefully and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. See, he saw this. Perhaps he saw what was going to, perhaps he was praying and God showed him exactly what was going to happen and, and, and what, he, what he had to look forward to. It says, uh, but on the third day he'll rise again, verse 34, but they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. You know, Jesus in, in, uh, in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the capillaries at the surface of the skin popped and he sweat blood because of the great emotional trauma he was going through. Why was he facing that emotional trauma? He already knew what was about to happen. It was the preordained purpose of God that sent Jesus to that barbaric death. Isaiah 53, 3 and 4, listen, he was despised, rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Listen to this. Yet he can, we considered him punished by God. It was God's plan that put him on the cross. It was God's plan that crucified him. It was God's plan that had his body scourged. Stricken by him. Yet we considered him punished by God. Stricken by him, by God. And afflicted. The gospels, he was whipped by people. But here in Isaiah... Isaiah saw him, he was struck by God himself. See, God saw Jesus as a payment for your sin and my sin. Isaiah 53, listen to this, verses 5 and 6. You know, the whole book of Isaiah 53, it's the great redemptive chapter. The whole chapter is about the suffering servant, the Messiah, and what he would come. It was written 700 years before Jesus came. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And watch this, and who? The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was God who placed Jesus on the cross. It was God, his father, who had him go through this terrible, terrible ordeal in death. God did that. You may want to, I don't have time this morning, you may want to read Psalm 22. The Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. And it talks about what Jesus endured on the other side. It looks into the spirit realm and sees the demon forces of hell taunting Jesus as he hung there on the cross. It's an amazing psalm. It's a prophetic psalm. Go read it. Then Psalm 88. Psalm 88 describes deity suffering in the regions of the damned. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible psalm. Both of those psalms show, show the Son of God, the Messiah, and the sufferings that he would endure in the, in the invisible realm, in the spiritual world, after he suffered his barbaric death. Number three, God allowed Jesus to become our sin. Here's what we've got to understand. Jesus was pure. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit came as a dove, lightly, gently upon him. 
And then a voice spoke from heaven. Some people thought it thundered. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, there was no sin in Jesus' life. This is the amazing, amazing thing about Jesus, our Savior. Jesus endured every problem, faced every difficulty, every circumstance that you and I face. And he did it without saying any, not one word wrong. He did it without sinning in any way. He did it without any thought of revenge. The Bible says he never sinned. Hebrews 4 says he was tempted in all points. Like as we are yet without sin. That's amazing. Jesus had no sin of his own. And because of that, he could become our sin. 1 Peter 2, 22. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When Jesus, watch this, when Jesus hung on the cross, when Jesus was, the entire human race in God's mind was hanging there with him. That means you were hanging right there on the cross with Jesus. And everything that you and me have ever done wrong was hanging there with Jesus when he was made to be our sin payment. He was our substitute. And he hung there in judgment for what you and I should pay in, in price for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Passion Translation. For God made the only one who did not sin to become sin for us. You see that? See, Jesus was an adequate sin sacrifice. And Jesus could take our place. And God could justly see that Jesus dying in our place would, would actually, uh, he alone could bear the penalty for our sin because he didn't have any sins of himself. He did no sin himself. So it says here, God made the only one who did not sin, did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. Literally, there was a divine exchange. What, what, what we were, Jesus became on the cross. And what he was before the cross, we became. He was righteous. And he gave us his righteousness. We exchanged our sin for his right standing with God. He exchanged his right standing and became our sin. That is amazing. That is amazing. And in 21st century, we need to hear this every day. Jesus became every wrong thought, every wrong word, every wrong action, Every wrong motive of every human being that has lived in the past or ever will live in the, in the future. In God's mind, the sinfulness of the human race was placed on God's Son, the Lord Jesus, when He died. That is absolutely amazing. Mark 15, 34, we just read that. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out, with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, meaning, my God, listen, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? What happened when Jesus said that? Jesus knew this was coming. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out, God, fell on his knees, God, is this, is any way, any way you can redeem the human race without me doing this? Please, he begged, please, but not my will, 
yours. See, he knew what was going to happen. And Jesus was hanging on the cross suffering terribly. And then everybody was mocking him. Ridiculed by the religious authorities of his day and the crowds that used to clout when healings came. Now he's ridiculed. And insult to injury. He's there on the cross. And God Almighty, watch this, turns his back on his own son. God withdraws his fellowship from Jesus. And Jesus somehow becomes sin. You say, well, how did God do that? I have no idea. I, I, I can't figure it out. Jesus was made sin. And what that means is, again, think it out. Everything, think about all the things you've done that you're not proud of. You've done things you've never told anybody about. God knows. Thoughts, words, deeds, motives, all of that for you was placed on Jesus. And when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken by God for you. So that God could look at you and look at Jesus' sacrifice and say, I love you. And I want you to have fellowship with me. I'm holy. Somebody's got to legally pay the price for your sin. My son did it. Come and accept my son and you can have my presence. Jesus with, God withdrew his presence from Jesus so he could give his presence to us. Now that's a miracle. That's amazing. And then number four, Jesus became our spiritual death. Now this is, you got to think about this. Jesus literally died spiritually. When I say that, there are people that take that to task and say, there is no way that God himself could spiritually die. Jesus, the second member of what we call the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is no way that God himself could die. Understand that, that there is a Trinity. God is a is a is a separate individual from Jesus who is a separate individual from the Holy Spirit. It takes a long time. It's really hard to explain the Trinity. They're one in thought, word, deed, purpose, motive, action, etc. But they're separate individuals. You got to think about it a little bit. God's seated on his throne. There's Jesus on the cross. And Jesus was made our sin. He died spiritually. What do you mean he died spiritually? When God forsook him, when did he die spiritually? When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When God turned his back on Jesus. Listen, Jesus lost his fellowship with God. What is, explain the term, what is spiritual death? Spiritual death is separation from God. See, death, death never means never means cessation, it means separation. Jesus didn't cease to exist. When we die spiritually, spiritual death is separation from God. It's not cessation of life. No, spiritual death, separation. Think of, think of death in the Bible as separation. Spiritual death, separation from God. Physical death is the separation of my spirit person and my mind, my soul, from my human body at death. And the second death, the Bible talks about in, in, in Revelation chapter 20, is eternal separation from God and a person being cast into a place called the lake of fire. 
That's a terrible place. That's the second death. So death in the Bible is separation. And Jesus died spiritually in that he was separated from God on the cross. That's what happened to him right there. And God forsook him. Isaiah 53, 10. But it was the Lord who decided to crush him and make him suffer. The Lord made his life a penalty offering. Did you hear that? But he, was still, uh, but he will still see his descendants and live a long life. He will complete the things the Lord wants him to do. After his soul suffers many things, he will see his life. Uh, he will see life and be satisfied. My good servant will make many people right with God. He will carry away their sins. For this reason, I will make him a great man among people. And he will share in all things with those who are strong. He willingly gave his life and was treated like a criminal. But he carried away the sins of many people and asked forgiveness for those who sin. Listen, sin is not just a physical thing. Sin is a spiritual thing. A lot of people, you know, you, you talk about Easter and talk about all of the barbaric things, again, that we mentioned that happened to Jesus when he died physically. If, if physical death, if his physical death alone, listen, if Jesus' physical death alone could absolve and cleanse our sin, then, then sin is but, but a physical problem. But sin is not, and that means that physical death could do it. Why don't we just die ourselves? And then our own death can absolve our sins. See, that's not what it is. See, sp- sin is deeper than physical. It's spiritual. See? Sin is not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual problem. And you can't solve a spiritual problem with physical things. So see, see, get it? See, Jesus' physical death was a means to an end. See, really, 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 before Jesus could even die physically, he first of all had to die spiritually. The scripture clearly says, the soul that sins will die. Jesus never sinned. Several times in the Gospels, the people who didn't like him would take him somewhere. One time he was on a, he was on a, on a hill, a big tall hill, mountainside perhaps, and they were going to push him off. But he just turned around and walked right through them because his time wasn't yet come. Another thing was he, had, he wasn't made sin. He couldn't die. Death is for people who are sinners, not for people who have never sinned. Jesus, until he had become sin. Only then could he, only then facing spiritual death, could he face physical death. Hebrews 2, 9, what we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels and became, and because he suffered death for us, he's now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. I bet you've read that scripture. It's okay, Jesus died physically. No. That verse, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Jesus tasted spiritual death. Think about it. For everyone. If Jesus tasted your physical death, then you shouldn't die physically. And if you live long enough and the rapture doesn't occur first, you're going to die. All of us will. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death there. Jesus bore our spiritual death, in that he was separated from God his Father. Then it goes a step further, uh, uh, point five. When Jesus died, he went to hell in our place. I'm amazed. I, I did not know this. Y'all, I was, I was in church for almost 18 years, and I had never, ever heard this. I don't even remember reading, reading it in my Bible. And the first time I heard it, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
whoa, are you sure? And then when I read the Bible for myself, I thought it has to be true. See, Jesus became our sin penalty. He was tempted in every way that we're tempted. Jesus, and, and, and became spiritually dead like us, separated from God. Then he went a step further and went to the place that we should go because we're sinners. Whoa, he went to hell. Listen, listen to Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Right there. That shows you where hell is, center of the earth. They say it's molten rock. It's a hot place. Well, Jesus went there. That's where hell is. He stayed there until God was satisfied that our sin debt was paid. Acts 2, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Friends, Jesus did time in hell for you. Uh, here's Romans 10, 6 and 7. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will ascend, descend into the abyss? That's hell. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Then Ephesians 4, 7 through 10 Again, speaks of the fact that Jesus did time in hell for us. But each one of us, grace was given, Ephesians 4, 7, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He gave gifts to men. Now, now he that ascended, what does it mean? But they also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. What did Matthew twelve forty say the lower parts of the earth were? Where is hell? As Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, Jesus said, so will the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. Here it is again. Here it says, he descended to the lower parts of the earth. What is that hell? He stayed there until God was satisfied with his sin payment. He who descended is also the one who ascended above all heavens that he might fill or fulfill all things. See, Jesus stayed there. Until our sin debt was paid. I don't have, I'm not going to take a lot of time. I've shared this in the past. But before Jesus went to the cross, death was actually uh, divided into two compartments. You can read about this in Luke 16. Start with verse 19. There was a, there was a wealthy man and then a poor man. They both died. One went to hell in the flame. And he was tormented in flame. But the other one went to another side of hell reserved for people in the Old Covenant, people of the Old Testament who believed that a Messiah was coming, but they knew he hadn't yet come. They, they slew animals and sacrificed animal blood to cover their sins once a year, but the Messiah hadn't come yet. God could not allow Old Testament believers to go yet into heaven because they weren't yet cleansed of sin. There had to be a place for them to go. And um, the Bible calls it two things, Abraham's bosom or lap, or, or another term was paradise. Jesus looked to one of the men on the cross, said, remember me, you know, when you get into your father's kingdom. Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Most people think he's talking about heaven. No, he's talking about that righteous side of hell. When Jesus died, he went to hell. Now, now the jury's out. 
I, I don't know what to tell you. The jury's out whether or not he breached that chasm, went to the flame side. I can't tell you that. What I do know is he went to that righteous side of hell and stayed there with all of the patriarchs of old. And he probably said, I'm the lamb of sacrifice that you sacrificed. I'm the one that you read the scriptures about where the prophets foretold that a Messiah would come and redeem humanity. I'm the Messiah. He preached the gospel to those that are dead, 1 Peter chapter 3. And after God was satisfied that all of our sin debts were paid, he rose from the dead, Matthew 27, 51. When Jesus got a glorified body, he got up and got out of that tomb. They resurrected into their graves. Go read it. Matthew 27. Amazing. Amazing. Jesus did time in hell, my friend, for you and for me. Number six, Jesus was raised from spiritual death to spiritual life and then was resurrected from physical death. Now, now this is, now think about this. Jesus was the first person. To ever be born again. John 3, a religious leader came to Jesus at night. Said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, unless you be born again or literally born from above, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, when he said that, maybe he thought, I'll be the first guy to experience that. Jesus suffered spiritual death, separation from God. And in hell, when God was satisfied, our sin debt was made. The Holy Spirit came on Jesus. And he resurrected from spiritual death to spiritual life. God smiled on him once again and said, come back into fellowship with me. You've done what I asked you to do. You've pleased me. Come alive. Be with me again. That's amazing. Jesus was born again in hell. Listen to Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy Jesus is the first one. He's the head of a brand new race of people, new creation people, all of those who become, we become new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, old things passed away, all things become new. Uh, he, he threw our sins off of himself. God came back into fellowship with Jesus, his son. Our sin debt was paid and he was the first one to come alive after being spiritually dead. First Peter 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh. Watch this. Justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Rotherham's translation of that verse uh, uh, says, And confessedly great is the sacred secret of godliness, who was made manifest in the flesh, was declared righteous in spirit. See, Jesus became our sin, but was declared righteous after uh, our sin debt was paid and God was satisfied that the penalty for sin for all humanity was paid. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for our sins uh, once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. To bring you safely home to God, he suffered physical death but was raised to life, watch this, in the Spirit. Listen to New International Version. It says he was made alive in the Spirit. So see, Jesus, who died spiritually in our place, he took our sin. He took our separation from God. When God was satisfied that your sin debt was paid, then, then God sacrificed for sin. The Lord Jesus Christ, his Son, was made alive spiritually in hell. And then... Jesus was raised from the dead, that's point seven, into a new glorified body, and he promises us 
a new body one day. See, Jesus conquered death. The Bible says that, you know, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, a lot of people live their whole lives in the fear of death. I've, I've been close to death six times. Two times before I knew the Lord, once was a drug overdose. Another was a car accident that could have easily taken my life and the life of another person in the vehicle. And then I've, I've experienced what, what I say was cl- being close to death four times since I've known the Lord in various ways. Three were car accidents. One, a tank almost ran over me. And then one time my appendix burst in an airplane. It was crazy. But you know, I wasn't afraid. And see, Jesus takes the fear of death away because that tomb is empty. That means he conquered death. And if Jesus conquered death, he made a way for us. He's the way maker. We sing the song. He made a way so we don't have to be afraid. On the other side of death is life. So we actually go from life to life. We go from physical life into spiritual life. In fact, those that have experienced death, I've read several books about uh, um, near-death experiences, NDEs they call it. And the people that experience that, they say that you never lose consciousness when you die. Your spirit leaves your body. You go into eternity. Isn't that cool that Jesus took the sting out of death, guarantees us heaven, so we don't have to be afraid of the time that our heart beats as last beat and we breathe our last breath. Because right then for the believer, we go right into the presence of God. Mark 16, now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James and Salom, brought spices that they might come and anoint him, that is Jesus, very early in the morning. On the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed, but, they say, but he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where he laid? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him, as you said. That tomb, y'all, is empty. That's pretty cool. That means we don't have to be afraid of death in fact, Revelation 1.18, Jesus said he appeared to the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. He said, I am he, and this is decades later, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Because Jesus conquered death, that means, and he got in a new body. See, that, that, that body's not in the tomb. Now, Jesus came out of that, that cocoon he was encased in. They wrapped strips of cloth and wrapped all of his limbs. They wrapped his body, left the aperture of his face, and then they put a cloth on that. When Jesus was resurrected and the disciples went in there, they saw an empty cocoon where a body had been. It looked like a body, nothing in it. Where's it at? <laughs> Jesus came out of it in a new body, a glorified body. Luke says he has a flesh and bone body. I think Luke or John 1. And he could eat fish. He ate fish with the disciples. Ate bread and fish. It's a glorified body that can reappear, disappear. That can go through walls. <laughs> oh my. You have new measures of locomotion. New, new ways to move about. Amazing. A body fit for eternity. A body fit for heaven. 
You're going to get one in one day because Jesus was raised. I'll close with this. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies, um, these dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. He's talking about the rapture of the church. We're going to get a body like Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye. Blink your eye. That's how quickly the rapture, those that go up in the rapture of the church, blink your eye. You'll be here, then you'll be there. You'll be in a physical body, then you'll be in a glorified body. My, my. And then gravity loses its control. You go up. It's amazing. It will happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet's blown. When the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scriptures fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Jesus takes the sting out of death. There's a person, you're watching me right now. You are afraid to die. You've lived a lot of life. And you've got some physical problems, sir. But you know what? Jesus wants to take the sting out of death for you. You don't have to be afraid to die. One day, if you make Jesus Lord, you breathe your last. You'll enter into the presence of God and then one day when the rapture of the church occurs, you'll get a brand new body. It's a whole lot better than the one you got now. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus took the sting of death. What have I said? Jesus' Jesus, physical death made a way for Jesus to become our sin sacrifice. His death was God's preordained will. Jesus died spiritually. He became our sin. As our sin substitute, He went to hell to pay the legal penalty for our personal sin himself. Then he was justified by God there in hell. And the Holy Spirit came on him. And he was raised to spiritual life. And then he came up and got in a brand new glorified body. And the Bible says now he sits at the right hand of God. And his job is to ever live. To pray for me and you. You know that is the gospel. You know Mark 16 just before Jesus went to heaven, he appeared to his disciples for uh, you know, a little over a month. And, and, and then he said, uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What you just heard, that's the gospel. See, that's good news. Death's coming. You know, this COVID-19 virus, coronavirus, has killed people worldwide. It's a terrible thing. Death is a curse. It's a terrible thing. It's the last enemy, the Bible says, that will be placed under our feet. Jesus Christ conquered it for us. We don't have to be afraid to die. Listen, the first few years of my life, I was afraid I was going to die as, as a little boy and, and, and die before I even knew how to live. 15 years of age, listen to this. I, uh, I was smoking pot and, and had a reaction to whatever is laced with some kind of terrible drug. I saw myself dead uh, with a white sheet over the silhouette of my body. I was blind. It, it blinded me. You know what? I was afraid that day I was going to die. And y'all, I, I really thought, I can remember, I was, fi I was 15. I thought, <laughs> if this happens now, I'll, I'll die without really living. 
church. I won't even experience life. I don't want to die. I got afraid, y'all. When I made Jesus Lord just before I was 18, something happened inside. I say, live or die, I'm happy. <laughs> if I go to heaven today, yay. But God's promised you a long life. How about you? You're going through life, are you afraid to die? Are you afraid? I faced death six times, I told you, in my life. Two times before I knew Jesus, four times since then. I'm telling you, Jesus takes the sting away. Jesus became our sin. Yes, for God so loved the world. See, God loves me. God loves you. But it's not God's love alone, listen, that can keep us out of heaven. God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for our sins because God not only loves us, but God is also holy. See, God's love is not enough. You say, well, God loves me. He wouldn't let me go to hell. No, but you might let yourself. I can't go to heaven the way I am without Christ. Every human is a sinner. That's me and that's you. We're born in sin. David the psalmist said, Behold, I was, I was born in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. What is, what's he saying there? From the moment I was conceived, the human race has fallen. And that's you. And as sweet as you are, and as pretty as you are, and as nice as you are, and, and, and as many good things that you do, doesn't, that none of those things are good enough to get any of us into heaven. We're sinners. We need a Savior. We're impure. And the only way to remove the impurity of sin is by embracing Jesus Christ, God's sacrifice for sin. You may be watching right now. Maybe you don't come to Victory Church. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've heard it before. But maybe you've heard it this time and and God's dealing with you. Have, you. have you taken Jesus personally to be your sacrifice for sin? See that verse I quoted earlier, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God, God wants to cleanse your sin. But you have to lay yourself down. You have to be willing to, to, to relinquish the rights to control your own life. I had to do that one day. And listen, I'm a, listen I, I was a rascal. I wanted to do, make my own way, do my own thing. But I knew if I wanted to exchange my fear and my sin for God's grace, I had to lay my wheel down. There's many of you watching. God's asking you, are you willing to forsake who you are and what you've been and what you've enjoyed for a greater life than you have now? for freedom from fear, freedom from sin, a faith in God, the peace of God, the joy of the Lord, and one day heaven. The only way to do that is by accepting what I talked about today, the sacrifice that Jesus gave for you. He gave Himself in exchange for me and you. He exchanged His, His purity for our impurity, His righteousness for our sinfulness. We get His righteousness if we'll just come to Him. He took our sin so we could be right. Would you pray with me? You may be here. May, listen, you may be listening and maybe you've known the Lord but you felt like, well, I can just do what I want to do and you've been living in a lot of ways like everybody else around you doing things that you know are wrong. Just thinking, well, the grace of God, it won't cover that. No, when we repent of sin, we turn away from it. 
The word repentance has the idea of, of a 180 degree turn. You go in one way, then you turn around. And God's asking you to lay yourself down. Lay your pride down. Lay the things down that obstruct His fellowship from you. Obstruct His love from you. Pray with me right now. You're there watching. The Holy Spirit's on you. And God wants you to love Him through His Son. Pray with me right now. Out loud. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in You. I have sinned. And I ask You to forgive me for every sin I've ever committed until today. Come into my life. Cleanse my sin. Jesus, I accept your free sacrifice for my sin. Come into my life and change me. Make me a new person beginning today. Help me walk with you for the rest of my life. Jesus, thank you. I relinquish control of me and I give it to you. Thank you for ruling my life for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Welcome to the family of God if you prayed that prayer. We're excited for you. It's the best thing you've ever done in your life is to give your life to Jesus. I did it years ago, and I'm telling you, it makes life full. It makes life fun. It makes life fear-free. A lot of people are filled with fear today. Thank God you gave your life to Jesus. You no longer have to be afraid.